Greetings, true believers, and welcome to episode 59 of the Polis Podcast, a bi-weekly show about comics, pop culture, and faith. My name is Chris Poirier, and with me, as always, is Hector. How's it going, Hector? I think we're at the place where we actually need, like, a theme song, like a Greetings, True Believers <laughs> song, Ooh. like uh, something that maybe is reminiscent of the monkeys. I don't know. Ooh. Hey, hey, we're the podcast. We read lots of comics and stuff. No. Basically, that's where Maybe. I'm vibing. Yeah, that, yeah, that's the feel. That Greetings, right. true believers. Ah, <laughs> uh, well, I guess that means everyone knows what time it is. Strap yourselves in and prepare yourselves for we've got comic sign. Better put the word out. Get ready for the nerd out. Better put specs on. Better bring next on. I can't handle on today's episode of The Pull List, we've got a wonderful show for you. We're going to hit the latest news that you need to know, our must-pull recommendations from the past two weeks, our favorite new number ones, at least Hector might have one this week, and so much more. This is The Pull List Podcast. Uh, wandering into our high-speed newsroom with all of the technology of my closet. Uh, we've got some interesting things for you. Uh, nothing too wild. I feel like things are slowing down. A lot of projects kind of get announced in the summer and events kind of start playing themselves out around this time of year. So I should be saying the word zombies a lot. That feels like the October thing, but I actually don't. So I, I guess that's just not the angle this year or zombies played out finally. I don't know. Is that possible in comics? I think as a society, we're just kind of done with that for a minute. <laughs> we've, we've done that. Maybe it's time for vampires. No? When, when people... Okay, and maybe it's just me, but when people watched the Marvel What If Zombies episode and were like, meh. <laughs> right. I think that says we're done. But it was zombies in Marvel, and yeah. It was half-hearted and <laughs> uh, a mediocre effort at best, and I'm going to stop. Um, oh, but that's what it is. Them's fighting words. The fact that the word zombies is more associated with Call of Duty than frightening is sad. Ooh, ooh. Okay, I'm done. I'm done. Yeah, that, that's fair. Okay, fine. Uh, let's talk about something that you probably would enjoy. Uh, how's that? That good? Um, Maybe. So we'll yeah, see. <laughs> we'll see. That's fair. So HBO Max is developed. They obviously are the new home of DC stuff. Um, and everything, and they're developing, I believe it's a three-part uh, docu-series on the history and legacy of DC Comics. Um, and I know there's a handful of documentaries out there, but I feel like a lot of them feel fairly dated by now. Um, so I'm kind of digging that they're going to take that up and try to build us a docu-series and give us a little more feedback on kind of the history and the all that wonderful stuff of DC Comics, you know, over 80 years of history that they can dive around in. So, yeah, uh, I don't think there's a date currently associated with it, but they've announced that the project is at least being worked on. So for all you DC fans, you you can get a little more DC love over at HBO Max. And it looks like when Fandom happens in October, they might give us more details on this or potentially a trailer and all that good stuff. So... More to I, come. I would just like to say, I would rather see a future of DC Comics than a history. 
Carry on. <laughs> oh, hi uh, Saving it for the podcast. Hector's got some stuffs on his mind. So, but more DC magic, if you will. Uh, do, you are a fan, like I am, I believe, of everybody's favorite rhyming demon, Etrigan, right? Yes. yes we love I us am. a little. We love us a little bit of Etrigan. Um, literally, uh, the demon, as he is eloquently known. Well, Justice League Incarnate which I don't know a whole lot about, to be honest. And I guess that's because I'm starting to lose track what on earth is going on in the DC um, world, which is, again, tied to previous comments. <laughs> um, but DC- Justice League Incarnate number 2 uh, features his return. He's kind of been in his own books, or he's been in Black Label stuff lately, but he's not kind of revisited DC proper recently. And in Justice League Incarnate number two, we're going to see a wonderful return of everybody's favorite rhyming demon. Good. (laughs) It's like good. Hopefully, maybe that's good. But it's just like, Um, is it like just an appearance? Is it a whole book? What's the deal? It's not really clear, but there are some pages of Etrigan. um, Looks like a bear hug of Superman. Um. Oh, there's some really gnarly stuff in the in the pictures, but uh, Williamson is writing, so I'm kind of glad that they're leaning into Joshua as one of their stable guys right now um, because he's good and they need it right now. There's a few. There's it's either a cover or some interiors in the link that will be in the notes, so you can check it out for yourself and see if you're feeling uh, the Etrigan vibe. And that book drops in December, so you got to wait a little bit. But know that there hopefully will be some rhyming because if there is no rhyming in this book, then DC you have failed this city. Um, Fair, right? <laughs> um. Because when he doesn't rhyme, there's there's lots to that too, and that's where that type of stuff needs to actually happen. And then our final two pieces, uh, I'm gonna put on. I feel like I should put on some glasses because they're kind of very deep industry ish. But we know that people come here for a mix of the news of what's literally happening in comics, and then what's happening, you know, behind the doors that impacts us as readers. Do and... they come here for that, or do we just throw it at them because we can? Oh, no. Uh, I actually get a lot of comments on the thanks for actually like keeping us up on the thing that we don't fully understand. And so it's explainer level stuff. And I dig it. OK, but I'm, okay. I'm that nerd. I sat behind the counter. So but there are other people that are out there or um, a lot of people are curious why things happen at their shop because their shop isn't educating them. Like you and I are used to a lot of shops that are like, yeah, Diamond did this or DC did this. And that's why it's happening. But IDW, who has had their share of um, issues <laughs> over the last year, there's been a lot of high turnover in their executive suite and everything. But they have gone the way of Marvel and are joining Penguin Random House as an exclusive distributor for the next year. So they're going to do literally the exact same mo- model that Marvel just did, which means they are turning away um, partially from Diamond as well, which means Diamond is really getting low on large distributors that are hanging out, or sorry, publishers that are hanging out in their shops. Um, so for some people, that means some of the discount tiers are going to change for some shops, which means you may see some change at some stores. But ultimately, 
it's just interesting because for a lot of us in the industry, the fact that the monopoly of diamond would never be torn down, it only took COVID to literally nuke them. Um, because they are sitting in a very vicarious position with the exclusives to Marvel and now IDW because that puts they're going to be able to sell all the stuff they currently have on hand and they're going to after the exclusivity period be allowed to wholesale comics but it's going to be at a different discount tier which basically makes it not worth getting them through Diamond anymore. Um so Penguin Random House really kind of just like screamed into the middle and like put their flag in the middle of it and went, yeah, I guess we we will do this. Um, so I think it'll just be interesting to see how it plays out um, because I'm a fan of competition, especially in distribution where there hasn't been any for many, many years prior to today. So change is coming. Change may actually be good, question mark. Um, not, not so much for diamond. <laughs> Sorry, diamond. <laughs> Yee. Um, it's, it's less good for you. Um, but yeah, so that's interesting, but I was also kind of just short on news. I don't know why, but I, like I said, I guess we've hit that period of summer has happened. Fall is coming. Most of the comic book people aren't worrying about anything till spring at this point for major events and everything. But I came across a gem this morning that made me go. Well, that's interesting. And that is the estate of uh, Ditko, so creator of Spider-Man and Doctor Strange, has filed to basically reclaim their copyright and terminate the copyright with Marvel Comics. And this is not abnormal. Actually, this is what the Siegel estate did with DC and um, Superman, that there are very specific periods that you can reclaim a copyright of original work. And it's a five-year period that is usually 50 to 75 years after original work was presented. So we're talking way back <laughs> um, on these. So first appearance, Spider-Man first appearance of Doctor Strange are the original copyright holders. And Marvel controls those because of the original copyright rules that they had, which basically were non-existent, that this was the fight back in the day for DC and Marvel of if you created something, the company owned it, not the individual creators. Um, but after that period, technically, they can be challenged. And the Siegel family successfully did so for Superman. So the Ditko estate feels that which they is want why Man of Steel wasn't actually going to feature the word Superman Correct. up until the very last second when they could throw it in. Yeah. Right. And because what happened, and this is kind of part of the thing, because everyone's like, oh my goodness, does the Ditko estate just hate everyone? There's literally a Spider-Man movie coming and a Doctor Strange movie coming. It's like, no, actually, this, this follows exactly what the Seagull family did insofar as DC renegotiated during that period and the Ditko family is now, act, or I'm sorry, the Siegel family, two, two big families that, that had issues back in the day on their copyrights, that the Seagulls are finally getting their recognition and payment that I think the Ditkos are like, yep, <laughs> they're going to point literally to Superman and go that. So as much as all of you really wanted to learn this morning, Marvel is going to retain trademark status, however. Um, 
So now you get to learn the difference between a copyright and a trademark. Uh, copyright is literally original created work where it was published. And trademarks are usually um, common usage of a mark or a brand across a period of time of doing business. So technically, because Spider-Man's always been a Marvel thing, they have established trademark in that space. Doctor Strange, same thing. Um, but that's where you get into exactly what you said. That means that they can talk about a lot of the things around Spider-Man, even put him in a different costume. Strange, same thing. But Night monkey. May not be able to actually say Peter Parker or put the iconic suit on him. But it feels like from all the stuff kind of in between on the discussion, it just sounds like the Ditkos are trying to establish their their legacy in actually creating and being recognized for as such. And that's just how that's going to play out. But the timing is probably a little painful for Marvel or it's going to force them to want to resolve it quickly. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I just found that interesting. Um, I am a huge proponent of creators actually having control of their work. Um, it's understandable, though, that a lot of those people did sign contracts and knew what they were signing. But a lot of them back when the two big two were establishing their bullpens also basically had no choice um, because that was pretty standard in the fledgling industry. And they just wanted to get their stuff created. Um, but now as things have changed a lot in terms of copyrights and trademarks over the years, the families do have recourse and some have taken it and taken it successfully. That that's where we get the seagulls getting control and getting the credit. It's why we see Bill Finger's name finally showing up in Batman stuff that, nope, if you're part of the creative process, you, you do have a claim if you have original content. And so the Ditko estate now is being added to kind of that long list of what many would say is, is writing wrongs, but also just, you know, reestablishing the original creators for who they were and what they are. So I don't know. My nerdy self found that pretty interesting, and I'll be curious to see how it plays out. Um, because it's one of those conversations that has gone on for, for decades of did Stan um, and Ditko actually get along um, there, there's a lot there and a lot between the two of them. So I think a lot of folks are just looking for some long-term closure on some very old conversations in comics. So be on the lookout. It could be interesting if if the mouse decides to actually mess with that more than it is. Uh, it certainly could be educational. <laughs> but I imagine they will probably take the same route that DC and Warner Brothers did with the Seagulls and and the Superman. Well, Sony's got a dog in this fight too, so right. And that's an interesting piece of the puzzle as well is that Spider-Man's control is all over the place. There's some lawyers out there that get to like do this every day and I can't tell whether that's like super nerdy or just kind of nerdy. It's in there. It's, it's something, but so that's what you need to know. That's our biweekly look at the industry and delivering you the inside knowledge. Uh, as always, you can join us in on the conversation with Hector and I and all your other nerdy friends on the love thy nerd discord or in our Facebook community and begin your geeky adventure together with us.
Tell us what you liked, what you hated, or possibly even what we missed. We do do that occasionally. Um, but we've got our very own comics channel over there on the Discord server, and we just talk about stuff going on. There's always the link in the show notes, so come hang out with us. What's up, nerd? You digging this podcast? Well, the audio enjoyment doesn't end there. Visit LTNOnAir.com and make LTN Radio your new go-to for the best Christian rock, rap, pop, and indie, as well as our exclusive LTN shows and podcasts, some of which air on the station before they're available anywhere else. Visit LTNOnAir.com to listen now and find the link to our app. Now back to the show. And so, Hector, uh, I know you got a lot on your mind this week. Um, and so let, let's talk a little bit about what made it into your long box or maybe what didn't question mark. Okay. Or, or, or is this the musings with Hector, um, a, fi- <laughs> a, fi- a fireside chat with Hector on the status of the comic book industry? Um, I, it's, I, I'm good. Mm. <laughs> oh no. So I'm just going to drop one thing and maybe two. Uh, so I'm going to say a couple things before we go into pools. I'm not going to take forever. Um, I will say this. Um, I feel ridiculously let down by Rorschach. <laughs> okay. Uh, t- in that vein, and I'll let you finish. Uh, I stopped reading it two ep- issues ago. And, and I have Rorschach permanently inked on my body. <laughs> um, I know, and, and I know that you, uh, I know that you had stopped, and that's a valid reason. Um, but it was that same thing, like you talked about with Firefly, is like, you know, I've put this much in, I'm going to keep going. Um, mm. But I, and here's the thing, Tom's never let me down completely. <laughs> um, there's never been a point where. Because Tom is a great slow burn mm-hmm. when he writes yep. when he wants to be. But this is like the slowest of slow burns. And it's not even a slow burn. It's a slow candle warmer. <laughs> what? Like a scentsy thing or something. Like this doesn't even spark. There's not an ignition. When this book ended... Um, and I'm just going to put this out there because I've, mm, uh, there has not been a successful Watchmen follow-up in print media ever. I'm comfortable with that. Now, because before, before Watchmen was really hit or miss. And so, but to your point, technically nothing followed ever. Yeah, before Watchmen was not that was just very underwhelming to me, um, and there was points when they were doing the um, some of the countdown stuff, right? Where Rorschach was used in a image to promote countdown, but not actually in it, no. and that annoyed the crap out of me. Like I remember buying the book thinking Rorschach versus Batman, and then psych, um, <laughs> just kidding, just kidding, um. But dude, I'm disappointed in Tom. I'm disappointed in whatever leadership team up Greenlit this book. <laughs> um, 
at the end of the day, you get nothing. You get nothing. There's not actually Rorschach in this Rorschach book at all. Not even right. a new version of him, not even a reincarnated version. Like the basic concept is that when it's all said and done, that the detective who's investigating this stuff becomes implanted with the subconscious actions, conscious, whatever of Rorschach into doing like the whole thing was a slow burn in that the entire crimes were being committed to get this detective to be subliminally triggered to function as Rorschach. So we are all Rorschach. We are basically all Rorschach, but they specifically, they were leaving the clues and the interviews and like, there comes a point and it might've even been in the book you read where they hear a tape. Yeah. As part of the evidence. And that tape is like the brainwashing thing that gets you to do the thing. Uh, would, I, you, would you kindly? And it's just like, oh, this is terrible. Like, <laughs> um, Doctors or uh, Strange Adventures, even, I don't even know, because the last issue hasn't dropped with that, right? Uh, <laughs> see, Tom, what did you do? <laughs> like, I'm pretty sure Strange Adventures still has one issue to go. Or I missed it's, it. It's nope. It's next week. Okay, I was like, I thought it was coming up. I can say this: Strange Adventures, even if they don't publish the last book, is a hundred percent more satisfying than this Rorschach book. Mm. And that's saying a lot. Because Strange, Strange Adventures is not, uh, dude. My nails have grown at a faster pace than this book has moved. <laughs> but I was just so disappointed. Like I got to the end of it, and I was like. Well, that was a colossal waste of like $50 of my life and time. Ooh. Um, like, realistically speaking, I'm going to uh, gather all of these Rorschach books that I just bought and sell them as a bundle for like $5 at the next con I go to. Um, Merry freaking Christmas. Um, <laughs> it's just wow. Because I only keep books that I actually feel like I enjoy the story on, and this was not it. So um, that, and also this was <laughs> this was just not a fun week or two for comics. Like I read so many things that just I didn't love. So to be to be completely honest, I had pretty much the same experience that I kind of generally create two piles while I'm reading, which is the pile that's going to make this list and then the nope, this is definitely not. And I had to pull stuff out of the not pile to make a full list this week. Me too. Me too. (laughs) Yeah. So based on that, what good did come out of these two weeks? Okay, well, I mentioned it on the last time that we, you know, were talking. Um, uh, Steeple had a new volume. Mm. Um, and I don't know where, how, or what, but I never saw this in print, like, as individual issues. Um, but, like, there's a second volume, and I am fully aware that uh, this is not a book for everybody. Um, like, even if I try and tell people about it, they're ridiculously offended. <laughs> or oh like, don't worry i i've got one of those on my list this week <laughs> um <laughs> but steeple is literally a, a 
Anglican. That's the British church folk, right? Okay, cool. It's an Anglican youth pastor that becomes friends with a young adult woman and young adult by, I mean, like 25, 30, a young adult woman that's in the church of Satan. If you call it a church, Um, I don't know what the words for that are, Um, but like she becomes friends with them and they end up facing their town's problems together. And then at the end of volume one, they swap places because some, one of them becomes bitter with her own failures as a Christian. And the other one's like Satanists or douches. I'm going to go join the (laughs) church. So literally volume one ends with the Anglican youth pastor, just moving into the like domicile of the church of Satan and the, uh, Satanist young lady moves into the parsonage. (laughs) <laughs> for the church and it's just like okay um and, go on <laughs> and so volume two is literally them awkwardly screwing up everything in their respective places um like one of the Seems first things yeah um one of the first things is that the anglican young lady is uh trying to have sing-alongs because as she was told her whole life growing up the devil has all the good music um mm-hmm. And like, um, the, uh, Satanist girl who let's just say hasn't, uh, made it very far in her sanctification, um, Mm. like brings a dude home to, uh, the parsonage. And then when a church member like, uh, shows up needing counsel and nobody else is there, she like literally like pushes the dude out the window, barely covers herself and like sits down and just starts randomly picking passages out of the Bible to read, hoping it works. It's, um, and then here's the thing, because if it's not odd enough, they also find a, an alien that uh, they have to help because they have to fight a kaiju off the shore. And they're... Uh... <laughs> Well, and you know, one of the other subplots of the first volume of uh, Steeple is that there are mer creatures crawling out of the deep that the pastor has to physically fight every night. Um, okay, and, yeah, and he and it's like he can't ever be an effective minister because he's so tired from beating up sea creatures. I do not remember this day in seminary. Yeah. Um, and he's like, which is why he basically tells this youth pastor, you can handle all the church stuff. I got to beat up monsters. And, <laughs> and then there becomes a point where, uh, there's a werewolf that's part of the church of Satan that, uh, has had some good magic put on him. That's actually removed the werewolf portion, but hmm. he still transforms under the supermoon. but he transforms in like mental and strength. But he stays in his flabby old white man body, and he just becomes a really aggressive old white dude. Um, <laughs> and so they're like literally chaining him up, like this is gonna be a big monster thing, and he really just breaks into his local D and D shop. Um, so it's it's <laughs> this eclectic, horribly awkward, weird, beautiful thing, and like I'm amazed it got a volume two because again, I there can't the readership can't be huge, and there are other books that this dude's done that are f- successful. So this is a passion project, um, obviously, but I like it a lot. Um, so steeple volume two, I literally did a dance when it came across the new releases. Um, 
So there's that. Um, <clears throat> X-Men The Trial of Magneto is straight up good 90s X-Men fun. Yeah, so uh, because of what you said last week, um, the last episode, I was like, fine, I guess I got to go back. So I did. And yeah, I, I agree that it still has all the really weird stuff that's going on with their little island and their independence thing and everything. But everything else still feels X-Men. So, and for all of you that might have been following us and haven't been reading X-Men, you're good. I don't feel super lost, and I just picked up number one of of this series. So, continue, please. Yeah, all you need to know is that they had a big party at the Hellfire Gala, and Scarlet Witch is dead. Yep. Oops. Yep. I mean, she, her body's on the cover of the first. Yeah, issue. I know. <laughs> yeah, if you haven't figured out why there's a trial of Magneto by now, yeah. I mean, it's literally on the cover. Hey, Scarlet Witch is dead. We're figuring out why. Yeah, um, stuff done happened. Stuff done happened. Um, but uh, so yeah, that's a thing, and that's all I really have to say. Um, that uh, it re- is a uh, fun '90s. Romp, and you know they bring the Avengers into it pretty yep. quickly. Yep. Um, so there's that. It's it's a good romp. Uh, then uh, let's see what else. Um, I've been on a not intentional horror kick lately, but like horrors just been some of the best stuff out there in comics, and not like the oh it's October we need to produce a cheaply gimmick veil to sell our underrating issues. No, like actual horror. Um, yep. And um, Bunny Mask, like, legit, was one of those books I picked up the number one, surely out of good marketing, because it had a cut-out bunny mask on the front. I didn't cut the bunny mask out. Um, but <laughs> but I was like, that's cute, and I'm interested. Um, and uh, Bunny Mask, literally, I don't know where it's going, and I love that. Um, and it's creepy and weird and... There's gonna there's moments you're just as freaked out as the main characters, um, and like I can't even give you the plot line like other than there's a weird monstrous creature called the Snitch that uh basically if it picks you, it lets you hear all the secrets and lies of people. Hmm. And like so it like wants you to avenge and kill and do all the other things because you can hear all the lies of people. Um, but then on the other side is this bunny mask, avenging, um, weird angelic demonic thing. Uh, that is a, and I, I say this with all the reservation possible, a moderately attractive demonic, cute woman in a bunny mask and a torn dress and like uh she operates in shadows and she can come out of nowhere um like and her thing and it's dude it's a creepy line um is like if you somehow summon her the first thing she always says is there sickness and yeah and when (laughs) when she says is there sickness like if there's a wound or something like her mouth opens into a monstrous thing and she starts licking it and it either eats you or heals you. <laughs> like that... if her if her hmm. tongue touches like a open gunshot wound in the chest, you'll heal. 
or she might just eat you. Um, that's that's one, bro. One doesn't know. <laughs> one doesn't know. Um, there's literally a line <laughs> where, uh, and you know, also because it is a moderately attractive woman or whatever, it also gets freaky and weird. Um, and uh, there's one point she gets summoned in the recent book, and she says, "Now you." Have you called for kisses or for screams? <laughs> and like the dude in horror says, I don't know how to answer that. <laughs> and that, um, that's fair. <laughs> and the whole the whole other thing is is that the uh, female main character, not Bunny Mask, that's in the storyline, uh, is also who she says she is is someone who died as a child, and you don't know who this female is, and it's this weird relationship. I'm four issues deep. And I'm intrigued, but they also just paused till next year. Oh, dang. Only after four issues? Yeah, only after four issues. Um, it says to be continued next year, 2022, sometime. So, like, um, I don't know that they planned on it doing well or, like, that it was going to go ahead. I don't know what the deal is, but uh, if you want to get caught up and stay current really quickly, you only got to grab four issues. Um, And I guarantee it's one of the most interesting reads you'll read Um, with that. Um, I feel like I saw something on this, so I'm, I'm doing the Googles real quick. So... That's it with, you know, Bunny Mask is what it is, and it's fun. And I will just say, though, um, issue four does get um, a little adulty um, in terms of intimacy stuff, but not, like, graphically graphic, just, like, um, it's there. It's not necessarily present in the other ones like this, but this one got a little adulty. Um, And uh, being that being said, and then... um, my other one, and, the, and as you know, because we were talking about before the show, this was a tie between Joker 7 and Moon Knight 3. Mm-hmm. And I will tell you why Joker 7 won out. Um, and at this point, it's going to be like three weeks before you get there. So it's, or before, it, since it came out. So I'm not really going to consider this a spoiler, but I'm just saying it anyway. Uh, character, like, appearance. Ta-da. Um, <laughs> the reason... Right. The reason it made the list is that Julia Pennyworth showed back up. Right? And that it was like, splash page, here you go, boom. Yeah, it's splash page, I'm a sassy Pennyworth. And, <laughs> um, like, for those of you who aren't aware, because, like, literally she's been off the radar, she's she's had less paper time in the last decade than um, Commissioner Gordon's, like, out-of-nowhere son. Um, oh, right. That's a good point. He got a lot of time. He got a lot of time. And, um, yeah, like James Jr., like the kid that like showed up, caused a lot of chaos and is since died. Yeah. At the hand of Barbara. He was also very murdery. So, yeah, he was he was a <laughs> psychopath and a murderer. Um, but somewhere in, um, I want to say Scott Snyder's run, uh, we got Julia. Right? I think it was Scott Snyder. Mm, it had to be Scott Snyder. Um, First appearance. Uh, Detective Comics 501, New 52, Scott Snyder, and Tinian. Bam. Bam, I say. Um, 
Um, yeah. So, wow. Did you say Detective 501? 501 is first appearance, um, but yeah. technical, it's kind of one of those split things. So Batman number 28 in the, in the Snyder run as well. Yeah. Okay. But still, we're talking oh. 500 issues of Detective ago. Yeah. Holy crap. Yeah. So um, Jerry, Jerry Conway and Don Newton are the creators and Snyder and Tinian kind of expanded the character by the looks of it. Yeah. So, um. Yeah, Alfred has a daughter, and she is not used often, and it's been, you know, a couple creators since, because we, well, honestly, I guess it's only been one creator, like, because we went from Snyder to uh, King, right? Was that the progression? Yes. Yeah, we went from Snyder to King, it's just, King's been around so long, Um, over to Tinian, but, like, we got Julia back, and, um... I literally, last week, before I read this book, was thinking, man, where's Julia Pennyworth at? <laughs> you um, nerd. Well, it's the thing, because it's just like, um, there was, I think it was during like the end, because somebody was talking, and it might have been us, or somebody else, we were talking about the uh, that how great the end of the Snyder Run was. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, before, it was us. Yeah, before Bunny Suit and everything else, like that cool stuff around 41, you know, that, you know, she had a presence there. And I was like, man, she made a good presence. And I was like, when's Pen- when's Julia Pennyworth showing back up or is she not Rebirth? Because um, I don't know that we've seen her in Rebirth. Hmm. Um, I don't feel like we have, but. I don't feel like we have. And that's just one of those things. Like, I've had a general coverage of all Batman stuff, like since rebirth and i feel like i've not seen her um but uh yeah that being said uh julia's back and so this gets on my pulls simply because we get julia back she's sassy she has a nice haircut <laughs> just mm. i was i was happy to see julia um so we get penny one once again and their strained relationship with ed you know and that was the thing too um that she's Julia, going... I got something for you. Julia was in a Batman, a Batwoman arc in Rebirth. Okay. Okay. Otherwise, yep. this is it. Okay. See, I'm yeah. I ha- didn't touch Batwoman in Rebirth. Okay. Um. Well, there you go. Good information. Good soup. Um. But uh, yeah. Julia's just, you know, been around, and it's just nice to actually have her back in the fact. And she's hunting down Bane. It's people. And she's, since air quotes, Bane is dead, she's trying right. to destroy Bane's legacy. Um, And, you know, that, you know, she's got beef with Bane over what happened to Alfred and a distance between the Bat family. So, all all things, you get Julia Pennyworth back. Yep. Um, so That's cool. All right, what's you? What's your polls? All right, let us see. Uh, so, yeah, so like you were saying, I actually feel like there is a bunch of really good horror-based stuff on the market right now. Um, let, me, and, let, me th- let me throw one more out there. Oh, no, I'll get to that number ones. Go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Um, this, so I have two number ones as part of my thing, so technically I have three number ones this week. Uh, so bonus rounds, but, uh, I read a book and I'm pretty sure it's image. Just wanted to double check. 
Uh -huh. Yes, it's coming out. And it's from Colin Bunn, and he does a ton of this type of stuff typically, but it's a book called Lucky uh, Devil. And actually, it's a Dark Horse book. I knew it was one of the two. That was, it's, you're pretty well sure it's going to be one of the two. But And how to set this up. So you were talking about how Steeple is kind of a weird book for recommendations. Well, here we go. I hope you're ready. Uh, Lucky Devil is about a dude that's kind of down on his luck. Um, is like the guy that's the bottom of the totem pole at the office, always has to pick up everybody's coffee order. Nobody cares. Um, and the book opens up where he's standing in the middle of a diner where literally every single person in the diner has been brutally murdered in some way. And he's just kind of standing there. And you're like, okay. Um, and he is also at basically a support group. You don't know what the support group is for. Uh, they don't really say. And he's telling the story of what happened. And you basically find out that, you know, Mr. Down on his luck gets possessed by a demon. Um, and the demon literally becomes his alter ego. So whenever he finally hits a point of like rage, the demon takes over and then he kind of blacks out and doesn't remember what the demon does. Um, which is why he wakes up in places with like everybody dead <laughs> and you're like, cool. Um, and he's like, so this is crazy. So he goes to some random like witch doctor dude and he's like, I need an exorcism, but I've got like five bucks. And the guy's like, cool, we'll do the exorcism on the cheap. Um, not, not kidding. Like this is, this is plot point. Um, and so that happens and he gets rid of the demon and, uh, cause this is a number one, I need to give everybody kind of the hook, um, which is the spoiler here. And so the dude's like, you know, things are good. The, the demon's not in my head and stuff. And I haven't like randomly murdered people recently. And at the end of the book, though, he kind of is walking through an alley and someone like says his name and he's like, what up? And he turns around and it's the physical demon. And the physical demon's like, sup, homie, um, you got something that belongs to me. And the guy's like, what What do you mean? And he tries to do, like, the magic-y fingers and, like, nothing happens. And he's like, uh, you still got all my stuffs. So apparently the setup to this is Mr. Down on his luck now has the power of the powers of this demon, but now has conscious control over whatever those powers are. And that is the setup of the book. It's just wild. <laughs> um, so very mature. <laughs> um, but I was kind of like, that is an interesting setup. I don't feel like I've heard this story before. So I I'll give you a few issues to find out what a timid dude does with these crazy powers and what, what Mr. No Power Demon tries to do with no powers because he's kind of angry that the dude has his stuffs. Um, so it's a, it's a very wild book, but I, I feel like maybe I should have done this for the next episode. Cause like it'd be October, it would be spoopy and stuff, but um, here we are. We'll probably have issue two potentially by around that time. So if you're into it, dark horse is really pumping out. I mean, dark horse's bread and butter is this genre. But I feel like they've done really good lately. So, yeah, Lucky Devil. It's, uh, it's a thing. It's kind of wild. Um, my other stuffs is you need to continue reading 
um, Seven Secrets. Issue 12 came out, and the story keeps juking. I don't have any other way to say it. It's still a very beautiful book. It's a really off-the-wall story with the the keepers and the protectors of the seven secrets of the world um, have been fighting off evil forces, and they just threw another wrench and twist into the story in issue 12 that is kind of interesting that at the beginning you find a guy that grew up in the order because his parents like did the thing they weren't supposed to and had a kid in the order. You're supposed to be focused on your job. Um, you find out he wasn't the only one that grew up that way is kind of where 12 ends up. And they're kind of the, um, they're the light and dark side of this story, but you still kind of don't know who actually is the light or the dark, who's the good guy or the bad guy. Like, it feels obvious, but the way this book is going, I'm starting to wonder if it is obvious. So if you're kind of into that, it's a high action, very well-drawn, colored book. So I've said Seven Secrets probably at least more than half of the times that the book has come out. So you should probably be checking that out by now. Um, and so another random Marvel book is we talked about the setup for this, but the death of Doctor Strange number one came out and that process has now begun. Uh, and I don't know. Did you get a chance to read this? I looked at it and I was like, <laughs> I don't know if I want to spend the money on it until I hear Chris talk about it. <laughs> I don't know if that's going to help then. Um, so, oh, no. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's interesting. And that's why I, I'm kind of like, well, the death of Doctor Strange is important in general because especially with all the multiverse stuff going on in the MCU and also in regular comics proper continuity, Doctor Strange is kind of the cosmic um, magical glue that holds the multiverse together. So his death, who does it, is important. And how they attempt to fill the gap of the Sorcerer Supreme thing is also important. And... Most of this book was the setup of his death. So, and no, I'm not saying spoiler in front of that. The freaking book is called Death of Doctor Strange. If you are under the impression he wasn't dying by the last panel, sorry. <laughs> well, we also um, had a death of Daredevil and you saw how that turned out. Yeah, that's fair. But this, 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 I mean, okay, that's fair because technically this is kind of complicated, but th there is a Doctor Strange with a knife in his belly um, by the end of this book. Um, and so it's mostly kind of walking through like a morning of Doctor Strange and we get one of my favorite Donny Cates creations of Bats the Ghost Dog is still very much like front and center um, in this. And it's, you know, Doctor Strange Bloodhound that, you know, died but has returned as an astral spirit um and is still part of his life but th the best part of the opening of this book is that bats gets up every morning and asks dr strange for walkies first of all it is walkies because they wrote that word multiple times <laughs> in this book but second of all as dr strange even looks at the dumb dog and says you literally float you're dead you don't need walkies <laughs> But the dog's like, but, but walks. <laughs> and I'm sorry, I don't know why that just like hit me, but maybe it's the dog owner thing. But I was like, yeah, the, the dog's dead and it's still like, we're going outside. Fair enough. 
Um, but Bats is like his, the thing that he talks to almost more so than um, Wong and everyone else. So it's just interesting back and forth. But it literally comes to the point where like he gets up, has his coffee, gets ready to go for his walkies and walks out the door and gets stabbed in the gut and dies. That it's just like, bam, that this is a day in Doctor Strange and then Doctor Strange dies. But the other piece of this story is Stephen Strange is telling you a story about a character from the Far East that tried to become immortal and did so by hiding away small parts of his soul over his life so that if he was ever killed he could be reassembled and not actually be dead. That that was what he thought was the the future to immortality. And Doctor Strange is like, yeah, so I know somebody's going to come for me eventually and that sucks and is bad. So I probably should have a plan. And so semi-spoilerly, because it is the setup of this book, but pretty much within minutes of Strange being dead, a portal opens in a very young version um, different version of Doctor Strange steps out of the portal but like in the original costume and basically does the cool if I'm here it means I'm dead so take that setup for what you will so Doctor Strange horcruxed himself so yeah. that we could get a multiverse of Strange uh, I think so Right. And so a handful of people kind of had that response of, I feel like I need to read issue two before I completely write it off as a terrible idea. Um, because I still kind of want to know who killed him. Um, but I I'm guess we can go ahead and say it. He did it himself to start this process. I mean, or a there's... version of him did this to start the process. And that's the whole cyclical thing, so you can get a whole squad of strange. Merry freaking Christmas. Uh, no. So, end of the day, <laughs> it's Mephisto, probably. It's, prob- it's Mephisto, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> we got merch! Um, so, yeah. And that leads me to my last one, which could should come as no surprise and i'm sure it was hector's list as well last ronin number four um came out and the the turtles keep like hitting all the heartstrings uh and there was epic battles in this one you finally see how how splinter fell and how one of the other because we've kind of been going backwards and forwards in the timeline of how the last ronin became the last of of them and yeah, there was a lot going on in this book, but also, um, can we just talk about that Splinter is a total badass? Oh, this is the most B.A. I've seen Splinter ever. Right? Um, Like, even did the hardcore thing of, like, in the middle of this battle that's supposed to be a negotiation that deteriorates, does the little thumb flick of bringing his katana out of its sheath, which is, you know, the stereotypical of this type of movie slash story of oh some people about to get cut down <laughs> and I was just like oh yes no it's it's pretty it's it, it and it's also just been a very heart wrenching story of the turtle family 
Um, so if you're into the turtles and know a thing or two, this, this journey has been well worth it. How about we close out with the people what our number ones were, what you got? Let me just say this, too, um, on the number ones. I read a lot of other books that I'm not even going to bother listing. Um, but Womp uh, womp. Because there was just, there's a lot of stuff that I read that, like, after I read it, I'm like, nope. Um, <laughs> Oops. Like, uh, you and I both have indulged in some of uh, Mir Baraka's. And Dolfo, um, I forget how to say her name. The lady that did Unnatural and um, some other stuff. Um, how do you say her name? Uh, which one? Sorry. What's that? The the pig book. Oh, oh, Andolfo. Um, Andolfo. Okay, cool. Um, she dropped um, Sweet Paprika number one. Oh yeah, I hadn't I hadn't found a copy. Um, dude. Uh, sweet Paprika number one. And this is not my pull. Just saying this for the record. This is not my pull. Um, but Sweet Paprika is feels like it's in the same world as her last book, which is Unsacred or whatever. Oh. That she, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Um, it's in the same world. Um, I skipped that book because that book seemed a lot more sexual than this one. Um, but this one is in the same world. But, dude, this is... um. This, which is really funny, this book actually does feel like the same book that is my number one, which is weird. Um, uh, it's an office worker girl who's a demon. Uh, you know, it's demon angels just everywhere. Everybody's right. a demon and an angel for whatever reason. Um, and the book revolves around the fact that she's uh, sexually repressed and socially awkward because her father was judgmental towards intimacy when she was young. So that's the book. And apparently her father dies at the end of the first issue. And she it's going to be her dealing with how that affects her. But it's just like hmm. every it's like how she literally every time she starts to have a thought about a dude or anything of intimacy, she sees like this like looming monstrous father figure in her background yelling. Okay. Hmm. Um, <laughs> but it's in an office setting, cubicles and all that jazz and people with bad attitudes it's like an episode of a Gretzka. Um, um, so there's that. It was not my pull. I also read Ma number one. Um, and that's an interesting piece of um, literature. Uh, <laughs> I will not pick up more of Paprika. I will probably pick up more of Ma, but I don't recommend it yet. Um, but Ma is basically a bunch of women gathering in a commune where they get goddess powers esque so that they can turn their manifestation of rage towards men into actual physical monsters to kill them. Right. So it's got that culty, uh, uh, you know, vibe of what's happening here. And it's also very, um, trigger warning uh there's like the book has rape and stuff in it in the first issue so um yeah but it's literally a cab driver dropping off a woman at a commune in the middle of nowhere to gain goddess powers that they can physically manifest their rage um 
<laughs> so what book are you recommending? <laughs> so, cause I did some number ones cause it's not that one. Um, uh, my other number one was, you know, you know, a safer bet, which was miracle Molly. Number one, uh, secret files. Um, ah. and it was not the greatest book, but it was the best number one that I read this week. <laughs> So if you're uh, curious about the best of the uh, okay books that Hector read. Now, but like it, it had a lot of good stuff to it. And um, some of the writing as it progresses on is beautiful. But Miracle Molly in number one for the Secret Files is literally, and this is the best description possible. It's a Gretzko with Tyler Durden. <laughs> because she is a office worker who is ignored by her boss, hates her job, has meaningless relationships, but she hears a voice in the back of her head calling her to rebel, break out of the system, and be more. And then she flips the switch and becomes Miracle Molly through a long process. Um, it literally is Fight Club meets Office Space or Gretsuko. Um, and it's you get your, you get Molly's full backstory, which is cool some people care um and i really yeah. do like her as a character um and i really like um amanda writing whenever she's involved is super smart um so i like that but that was my number one awesome uh so for me um i read more jeff lemire Surprise! Yeah, no surprises. Um, but also, let's talk about the fact that Jeff, I think, has like six titles across like three companies right now, and so he's in a hustle mode right now. And they're all very different books. But so, Primordial Number One, I think, actually came out last week, and it's the same team that did Gideon Falls, like his really deep, like cerebral. Um, horror book and this is similar but different in that graphically a lot is pushing the story as much as the words but it's about the early space flight program of the united states and russia and you get introduced to this character that's been sent to um cape canaveral to basically shut down the space program in the late 50s so they i think it was late 50s late 50s early 60s um so the russians had shot a dog in the space and we had shot two uh, monkeys in the space. And in this alternate history, all of them died. Um, and all the countries immediately ceased their space programs because they're like, cool, this isn't going to work. And so they were decommissioning the space program. Um, but this guy gets called in and he gets randomly handed like some printouts from that space flight from like basically a janitor and is like, Hey, is, is this important? And the dude's like, huh? And he reads it and he finds out that the monkeys didn't die, or I should say they died. And 10 minutes later came back to life. Um, and he's like, this can't be right. And the dude's like, I don't know, but there you go. And he basically gets quasi kidnapped at the end of the first book by someone that won't say whether he's CIA or KGB. Um, but tells him, yeah, you're on the right track. You need to keep digging and you need to ask yourself why everybody that shot an animal in the space that died suddenly ended their programs when you now know that those animals didn't die. Um, and that's the setup to this book. And literally the end of this book is kind of white space with 
the space monkeys and the Russian space dog. And the monkeys are like, cool, are we dead? And the dog's like, hello, greetings. And that's the end of the first book. Is your brain prepared? <laughs> sure. It's really trippy. And I just, it again, it's the darn it. I, mm, I, I, okay. I just want to know. Tell me what happens. So that's what you got. And that's going to do it for us here at the Polis Podcast. Episode 59 is now in the books and in your ears. Hector and I would like to thank you for choosing us as your primary comic book knowledge factory on a near weekly basis. So don't leave us hanging. Rate and review the show on your favorite podcasting app of choice. We're on the iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher Radio. There's lots of places you can find us. You're listening to us now. But tell some friends because we talk about comics. So honestly, thanks for listening, everyone. And remember, kids... Master of Epic Duel! I can feel your 